Well, dear congregation, I would ask you now to please turn your prayerful attention to the Psalm 1. That psalm which I read to you in your hearing earlier. The psalm which is, of course, like all the psalms, so precious. It is indeed precious. In this psalm we have set before us two kinds of people. We have those who are described as the righteous or the blessed man, and those who unrighteous, who also is described as the wicked. By nature, every man is born in wickedness, born in sin, shapen in iniquity. By nature, each and every one of us are born as children of wrath until God does a tremendous work in our souls, bringing us to see him and bringing us to love his word surprise it above all things. There are many things in this psalm that we could speak of. It's simply magnificent. My words could never convey the wonder of this psalm. Imagine a, a swift or a swallow flying across a mighty ocean, so vast uh, we cannot see. The further we go, we see another horizon. We see the vast ocean it's an abyss. Well, when we consider the psalm, it's, it's so deep. So few words, only six verses, but so full of truth. So many things. We, we see the righteous man he is described as a tree that is beside living waters. And this tree flourishes. We see also that this man who is described as the righteous delights in the law of God and meditates on God's law day and night. We also see that he, he prospers whatsoever he does. He prospers. How is that so? Well, it's because he, he delights in this law. The law of God directs a man. When we think of the law of God, we think of the whole of the Bible. Not just the Ten Commandments, of course, at the heart of all the Bible, we could say is this, are the Ten Commandments, and the Lord Jesus actually summarized the Ten Commandments, didn't he? Remember when the scribes and the religious leaders came and the lawyers came seeking to trip him up and they asked what is the chiefest and the greatest commandment? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Man was made in the image of God and made to glorify God in his life. And of course, when Adam sinned, he turned away, didn't he, from the law of God. The law was in his heart before, but then his heart changed. Sin entered it, and sin has spread to all men. What happened right the fall. We could say two things essentially took place after the fall. The presence of God, the immediate presence of God was lost. Adam ran away, as it were, from God. And his sin cast him out of the garden. And God placed over that garden flaming swords of fire at the east gate, the cherubim, 
were there. Something else was taken from Adam. He never took from it before, but there was the tree of life. That was lost. And that's why those swords were taken there. Otherwise, Adam, it would have been terrible. Adam had to die. The wages of sin is death. Then God promised right there in the garden, didn't he? Genesis 3.15. If you don't know anything about the Bible, let me say this is the first gospel promise. Look there with me. Genesis 3.15. We have a marvelous, simply beautiful promise. Genesis 3.15. The Lord speaking to Satan, who put this enmity... Satan, of course, the very first one who sinned and who tempted Eve, and then Adam sinned. Satan was the first to sin and brought this disalignment and this disunity and brought death. And of course, Adam's sin also brought death. And the Lord speaking to Satan here, and I will put enmity, Genesis 3:15, between thee and the woman. And between thy seed, that's the seed of Satan, and her seed, it, that is the seed of the woman, would be Christ, shall bruise my head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The greater damage would be to Satan's head, literally crush the head of Satan. One day Satan will be banished forever. He is now reserved in a place, and he has his little season. Satan is an evil spirit, that fallen angelic being, and yet seeks to continue to destroy and will keep and seek to keep sinners from God's law. Remember what he said to Adam and Eve. Certainly he said to Eve, God has not said. Did God really say, you cannot take from every tree Yes, surely. He did. But Satan was the deceiver. And you see, a failure to do this led to Adam's sin and God's anger. And the wages of sin is death. And ever since Adam, all born into this world, have lived, as it were, as some sort of autonomous beings, as if they're not accountable to God. I will come into the world and I will live my way. And I will do things the way I want to do. And some even imagine that they're Christians. And they can live a sort of self-styled kind of Christian life. Apart from God's law. But when God saves us, we have that wonderful covenant promise there in Jeremiah 31. God says, I will put my law into their hearts. Now that's a Christian. A Christian is somebody that is born again. Adam had to realize that what did his sin cost him? He lost, as it were, that immediate communion that he had with God. We're told that he walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord in the garden. He lost that fellowship. But then there was a way provided, wasn't there? In which he did have access to God. That was through Remember how the Lord made coat skins for Adam and Eve. And there was, of course, shedding. There was death. It's the first account of death. 
And then there was the shedding of the blood, and then there was Cain and Abel, and they were told. So were Adam and Eve. What was the rightful approach to God? The wages of sin is death. Blood had to be shed. Of course, Cain, he rejected this. And he gave of his own labor. He gave of the produce of the ground. Vegetables, whatever it was. He thought that that could please God. His works. No, but it must be a lamb. It must be of the first flick. And of course, all of that is pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who would bear the sins of his people. You see, God, when it comes to sin, he cannot ignore it. The difference between Christianity and all other religions is precisely this. Our God, the only God, and there are no other gods. Our God is a God of justice. But our God also is a God of mercy. And when God saves a man, a boy, a girl, or a woman, he changes their heart. We read, do we not? As we sang, there is mercy with the Lord that he might be feared. And as you notice here in the Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God, of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Now this one, as we will read, the righteous fear the Lord. This sense of proper regard for God. You can't say, my friend, you love the Lord, that he really is your Lord, if you do not want to obey him. Did the Lord Jesus not say to people in his day, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? Yes, he said that, and I don't need to remind you of that, you know that. But I want us to, to look at this, this man who is blessed. Now in this psalm, there are only two people, as I've said. There's the blessed, and then there are the cursed. And I was to see, as it were, the fruit of this man that is called blessed. It's a wonderful analysis. Some people say, and I've heard it said before, that Psalm 1 can be called the heavenly bouncer. In other words, it sorts people out right from the start. Who are the Lord's? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We're going to see several things, and then we're going to look at other passages of Scripture. This psalm is full of contrasts between the man that is blessed and the man that is not blessed. And before we engage ourselves here, let me just remind you what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. We have, as it were, eight blessednesses. Eight things that characterize a saved man. Blessed, and we could put it this way, blessed and only blessed. In other words, this is the man that is blessed. And only such people are blessed. In other words, there are no what we would call innocuous ifs. 
There are no in-betweens. There's no gray area here, my friend. And I thank the Lord that his word is so wonderfully plain that it doesn't leave us with any gray area of doubt. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, does he not in 1 Corinthians 5, examine. We are to examine ourselves, whether we are in the faith. And we must do tonight. If we are the Lord's, Paul says to the Corinthians, examine ye yourself, whether ye are in the faith. Now there are several things that I want us to think about here. And what we could say, first of all, about this psalm is without question, without equivocation, this is the sign of those who are righteous. In other words, those who are made righteous. Now the Bible makes very plain that there are none righteous, no, not one. Not in, of, of themselves. Nobody's righteous. All have sinned. All come short of the glory of God. God looks down, we are told in the Psalms, from heaven and sees that there are none righteous. None at one. But there was a time when God did look down. And many people were in that Jordan being baptized. As John was calling men to a baptism of repentance. And there was one standing before John. And he asked John to baptize him. And John at first refused. Didn't he? But he had to be. Because the Lord Jesus was going to go in that water, which was representative of his death on behalf of his people. Going in the Jordan, going in the water, was a picture of his death. And as he went to the cross, remember he spoke of another baptism, the baptism of the shedding of his blood. He said to his disciples, are you able to be baptized with the baptism? Yea, Lord, we are. Well, he did say you'd have to die. But in their death, they would never bear sins. Christ would bear the sins of his people. And when he saves us, what he does is he gives us his righteousness. When he went to the cross and he suffered and he died, he bore the sins of all who would ever believe upon him. But when he saves us, he puts a new spirit in their heart. See Matthew, the tax collector, living uh, a terrible life, cheating people. See Zacchaeus, see all these men, lives completely turned around. Why? Because these men were changed. And God's law was now written upon their hearts to do his will. Paul, who once thought he was a a, a, a great, successful, we could say, Pharisee realized that he was a breaker of the law. Not a keeper of the law, but a breaker of the law. He said, when the law came, he said, I died. I was as a dead man. I realized for the first time, he said, covetousness. Well, so covetous was he. He realized for the first time, hiding his sin. Well, the blessed man as we will think. And those who are blessed are only ever blessed in Christ. Now, the first thing you'll see here, without question, is a distinguishing sign of the righteous. And we read in this psalm here, 
The ungodly shall not stand. They shall be as the chaff which the wind drives away. But the righteous shall stand in the congregation. There they will be on that great day around the great throne of God and of the Lamb, singing the praises of God forever. They love him. But I want you to notice as the psalm begins, as I said, there are no innocuous ifs. There's no gray area. There's the man who's blessed and the man who is not blessed. Here is truly descriptive of one who is blessed of God. I want you to ask the question tonight. Are you blessed? I'm not asking, are you perfect? The psalmist here is not a perfect man. But notice verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, if you notice here, there are three distinctive actions that are all familiar to us, aren't they? Look, standeth, sitteth, and so on. First of all, he doesn't walk. What we have here, blessed is the man that walketh not in the council of the ungodly. In other words, God has become his counselor. And he doesn't listen to the counsel of men. God has become your source of information. His word is truth. You don't question it. We have so many people today who would seek to be our counselors. So many so-called gurus on the internet, on YouTube. We listen to him, we listen to her. The Christian says, I listen to God's word. I listen to his law. I don't even listen to my own heart. There are plenty of people who will call themselves Christians and they will say something like this, well, my heart tells me. My heart tells me this. My head tells It doesn't matter. I understand. Now, as a saved man, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even trust it myself. And I must take God's word. And you notice here that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, you can see this man by the way that he, he walks. Paul speaks, doesn't he, in Ephesians 4, of walking worthy. How do you walk, my friend? Do you walk by faith? What is it to walk by faith? It's to walk in a path of obedience. That's what we have in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me, we read, to walk in paths of righteousness. Is that what you're seeking to do in your life? Well, you can't, you can't determine what's right apart from God's law, can you? And, and let me ask you the question here tonight. How do you determine, as a person, what is right and what is wrong for you? 
your traditions, your thoughts, even your heart. It must be God's word. Otherwise, you're not blessed. Can I say it? You, you have never, as it were, seen the wickedness and the depravity of your own heart. And you're still trusting in men, or you're trusting in something else, or your feelings. Don't trust in your feelings. Feelings can blow hot and cold. One day we can feel right about something, the next day we can feel wrong about it. But God's word is never changing. It's always true. And if you are following the truth, you will never fall astray. That's why that man is blessed. My friend, let me say this. Don't dabble with Christianity. It's full on. If you're going to be a Christian, it's full on. You can't half do it. So many times, as young believers... We can all confess this. We were all young once in the faith. How foolish we were. We tried to do a little bit God's way, a little bit our way. It always ends in misery. It always ends with our falling. And God always proves himself to be right. Always. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, there will be times when the man who is saved may listen to others. But you know what? When he soon has come face to face with the fact that he was so wrong, that God's word was so right, he will be quick to repent. And he'll get back on the straight and the narrow and furthermore, he'll feel the very presence of God with him again. How gracious God is. Look at Adam, straight after the fall. The Lord keeps and comes seeking after him. And it's the way of all of God's people. Adam, where art thou? And the Lord called him. And the Lord finds you where you are, my friend. And addresses you. And is so kind, the Lord chastens them whom he loves. And it's wonderful to receive the counsel, the gracious counsel of the Lord, and not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I tell you, for many years, I walked in the counsel of the ungodly. The age of 26 years old, the Lord saved me. But I can tell you, friend, I... Passed through many dark paths. How wonderful it was when the Lord did for me as he did for David. He took me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my goings. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. But you see, you, you cannot know this blessedness until you walk in obedience. And therefore, I must ask you. You see, a Christian is not simply somebody that is, oh, I believe in the Lord Jesus, and we're moved by his cross and all that he did. But it's to know him as your shepherd, as your guide, and as your Lord. 
to know him now in your life and to experience his counsel, to experience the presence of his spirit so that when you know you're going through a dark valley, you can say, the Lord is with me. All may speak against him, but if God be with me, who can be against me? Who can be? Something else you notice. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. It's the posture of what we would call resolved. You can imagine men standing. They're standing rather sternly. And they're standing for something. But a Christian, he stands not in the way of sinners. But he stands resolved in the truth. Come what may. My friend, if God has given you such a faith, you are blessed. When the world is swimming in that direction and the tide of iniquity is going and they're not even swimming against it, they're swimming this way and they're swimming, as it were, with the current, but you're swimming against it. You're resolved. Because God has shown you that this world, this world is, is a sinking ship. And this world is a place of no hope. It's in fact a world that is against God. And you stand. And where does he stand? He, he meditates. His delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. You know what God says is right. And you make a stand on it. It doesn't matter. Even if it costs me this, it doesn't matter. I stand for God. And I stand for the truth. Standeth not in the way of sinners, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What we have here, you can imagine somebody sitting and they're laughing back with a bit of a sneer on the face. And I suppose that's the world, isn't it? It sits back with a bit of a sneer. Sneers our gathering. Oh, what did you do last Sunday? Oh, I spent the day in church with God's people. And you can almost hear them. We feel sorry for him. God's got him on a ball and chain. No. God has our heart. God has our heads. Here the picture is, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, scorning. Here is a self-confident, self-satisfied posture of haughtiness. But look at God's people as they sit down. What's their posture? Poor in spirit. I am poor. Poor in my mind, my heart. I have nothing to offer God, but he comes and he, he blesses God's people. That's what God does. He, he loves to bless. He sees the proud from afar off, the people scoffing. And you've probably heard it said. He's following God because God is his crutch. He's following religion. Because he needs something to prop him up in life. 
And maybe you hear somebody say like this, well, I'm pleased for you. You ever heard somebody say that? I'm pleased for you. Well done. We don't say well done. We say God has shut our mouths. He's opened our eyes. And in fact, we realize so much that we don't even scorn the world. And they don't see that. A true knowledge of what God does in your heart makes you rather pity the world. Not with a sense of glee. But what does the Bible say? Who made you to differ? It was God, wasn't it? Say, I'd be there with the rest. And that man is blessed. Because you see, the ungodly can never say, you think you're holier than us? You've ever heard that expression, holier than thou? Well, that's the way the world thinks of the one who is blessed. But the blessed, God has put a different spirit in them. Let me ask you, is that you? Has God humbled you to see that it is all of grace? That it is all of him? And therefore, this is, this is the wisdom that makes. The wisdom of God, you see, doesn't make a man proud. Salvation doesn't make a man proud, but rather it humbles him. Blessed is that man. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but he takes the lowest place. He'd be very happy to take the lowest place in the congregation. I'd rather, says the psalmist, be a doorkeeper in the house of God than be in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be the, the humblest and the lowest. I'm so thankful to be here. I, I see what I deserve. Notice this man, this man, this one who is blessed. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. See, what does he delight to do? The law of God is an expression really of his character. In whose image we are made. It sets forth, doesn't it, his holiness, what is right. And you see, why does this man delight? Well, because he's been forgiven. And because he realizes that this is the way now to live. This is not only what pleases God, but that which will be good for me, good for others, good for the world. This is what really makes a life. To live by God's law. Adam had the law. He even had the fourth commandment, did he not? In the Garden of Eden, six days God made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh, we're told there in Genesis, he rested. Not that God needed to rest, but that God set a pattern for his people. And so the first four commandments really about God how to love him, how to serve him, how never to take his name in vain, and to keep that one day that he has promised that he will presence us in a peculiar way. And you know what? This is why we read in Hebrews 10, 
how God's people are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as some are in the manner of doing, but to exhort one another all the more as we see the day appearing. Now that is not the day of judgment because nobody knows when it is, but it's the one day that God has given us. Hebrews 4.9, there remaineth a Sabbath keeping for the Lord's people. And he can't wait. He just can't wait. He can't wait for that Sabbath day. His, the whole week, he has meditated on it. This means, what does it mean? It means as I rise up in the morning, I realize I'm a new creature. I've been quickened to God. I've been made to see what he's like. The law of God, you see, Unlike all these other religions, you read them, they're a load of dribble, I'm sorry to say, but they're utter nonsense. They can't speak, those idols. They can't talk. They can't tell you the future. And they can't deal with your sin. But God has. Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time, came under the law. He came as a man under the law, fully obeyed it, and then died for his sinners and his people so that he might save them. And he might put his law in our hearts now. And we delight. We delight because the Lord has come to live by his spirit in our own hearts. And we now delight. Now what does this mean? It means I'm a new creature. The man who delights in the law of God is somebody that we can say is born of God. And we're told in 1 John 5 that the commandments now are not grievous. They're not grievous to the believer. They don't grieve him. Oh, have I got to do this? No, he delights. I want to, I want to honor the God that has so loved me and gave his son. We realize that the law itself condemns me. The law condemns me. If any man continues not in the law, to do the things of the law, the man's cursed. But we're told that Christ was cursed for his people. The scriptures say, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin put to him, his righteousness imputed to us, and now his spirit put in our hearts so that we delight and we, we can't wait to get to the house of God on the Lord's day and to praise his name, to learn from his word. Every day that I rise up, I delight in the law of God. When I get up in the morning, I reflect on that time when I wasn't saved, but now I'm saved. Now I have fellowship with God the Father through his son. I can get up and I can pray. I can turn to my Bible and read it and find truth and delight my heart in the Lord that kept the truth who magnified the law and who made it honorable and who has given me his righteousness and who has put his spirit now in my heart. And I go and have a shower. I get up and I eat my food in the morning with thanks that I have another day to serve him and to honor him and to please him. And when I'm at work, I'm mindful that I'm not my own that I was bought at a price. And now I must glorify God in my body, which is now not even my own. My body's not my own. So what I do with my body, I meditate on the law. What I, whatever I do with my body, I am accountable to God. Paul says to me, by the Spirit, 
You're not a debtor to the flesh to live after the flesh. But you're a debtor to God. I delight in the law. But this was this man. That man is blessed. He's got a changed life, a changed heart. He's under new ownership. Before Satan owned you. Sin owned you. When sin said, give me your eyes, you said, here's my eyes. Take my eyes. Sin. Give me your ears. Hear my ears. Sin. But now we do not present our members as members unto sin, but unto righteousness. On his law, he meditates day and night. Yes. Perhaps not every millisecond, not every minute, not every hour, but you could say it's the general tenor of his life. He delights in God. That man is blessed. And he, notice verse 3, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We thought this morning with the children of trees, we thought there of the children when they got to Mara and the water was bitter. And Moses prayed while the people murmured against Moses. They just left the parting of the Red Sea and they get to Mara. The waters are bitter. They can't drink it. And they say to Moses, what are we going to drink? We're going to die. Well, God, if he's parted the Red Sea, is he going to leave you to die? If he's parted the Red Sea, is he going to let you die? And he says to Moses, there's a tree, and I want to show you where it is, Moses. He says, you go and you cut that tree and cast that tree into the water. And Moses did, and the waters were made sweet. And the Lord said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Not the waters, that healeth thee. See, the problem with us is by nature we are corrupt and we are bitter. And we're unthankful. And we're unholy. But through Christ, a man is made holy. He's made thankful. And he is, he is made righteous through the righteousness of Christ and is accepted in him. And we're told there in Isaiah 61, 3, that all of Christ's people are the planting of the Lord, trees of righteousness. And that's what we have here. This man is pictured like a tree. And he grows by the rivers of water. Christ is that water. Remember what he said to the woman at the well in John 4. He said, if you, if you knew who it was that you were talking to, you would ask of this water that springs up to eternal life. There was a very dissatisfied woman that had had five husbands and the man that she had now was not even her husband. And the Lord dealt with her so graciously. She was a Samaritan, a Samarian, Samaritan woman. And she said, come see a man that told me all things that I ever did. Is this, not this the Christ? He knows all things about you. All things about me. And there is no sin that he is not able to deal with when it comes to his people. Because he died for all the sins of his people who trust in him and who lean upon him. He will bless them. 
and they will be as trees planted by him who is, as we know from Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God's people are described as a city. You know, in the book of Genesis, there's no city. Chapter 2, no city. If there was no sin there in Genesis 2, there would have been a big city, wouldn't there? A big city, but they were cast away. But what do we have when you come to the book of the Revelation? We read of God's people, there is a city. A great city coming down, as it were, from heaven. The bride of Christ. It's wonderful. I tell you, young Christian, you've got so much to discover in the word of God. It's amazing. God reveal it to you. And they all drink from this living water, which is Christ. The one who there in Genesis made a covering for Adam and Eve, but would eventually cover the sins of his people, atone for them, and shed his precious blood, and his people will drink from him. And notice... And this tree bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That man's blessed. The man that covers his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesseth and forsaketh it shall find mercy. And God will be his help. God will be his strength. And that man will be blessed. And whatsoever he does, of course he's doing the right thing. It's not I do my own thing and I will be blessed. But whatever that man does, that man, remember, he's thinking on God's word. And as he thinks on God's word, he delights in God and God directs that man's path. A man that doesn't think on God's word, doesn't spend much time in the word of God, never be blessed. That's the key to the psalm. He meditates. On God's law. Now, to meditate on God's law, let me say this, is to meditate on God. That's his goodness, isn't it? His ways. Not our ways, but his ways. And firstly, the way of salvation that is in his Son. Jesus said, I am the way. The way. The way to heaven. The truth. And the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And when you come into that way, you go in a narrow way, my friend. And as I said at the start, being a Christian is full on, not halfway. You struggle. And you'll never grow. But if you meditate on God's law, you make it your chief delight, you will grow. And you will flourish. And you will bless others. Don't you want to bless others? If God has blessed you, don't you want to bless? You surely should want to. But notice as we close, the ungodly are not so. It's so simple, isn't it? If you don't have these things, my friend, the searching question comes, am I the ungodly? The Pharisees were ungodly. They knew the law of God. If I, could, if I could drive something home tonight as I close, they knew the law of God. They heard the preaching of the word. But they never delighted in it. 
because they never really delighted in God. Delight in God, my friend. Delight in his law. Delight in his ways. And God will bless you. If you have been forgiven, you really will delight in him. If you are forgiven, you should delight in him now. It's not only your, your duty, but it should be your joy. It should be your joy to lift up your voice in thanks and praise to him for every day that he's given. That he didn't cast you to hell. And that you now are planted in his word. And you grow thereby. And you abide in him, in Christ, and he in you. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And there will come a day when the Lord will drive the wicked away as the chaff. And he shall gather into the garner all his wheat, but the chaff shall be driven away. There will be many that will say, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, that in your name. But they will hear those chilling words, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now, friend, I don't want to frighten anybody. I can't frighten anyone into heaven. I can't. There's no such man that is ever frightened to salvation. But they're drawn by the cords of a man. That's not really salvation. All these so-called crusades, many prove to be empty professes and lost. Is your heart not melted over the love of Christ who came and gave himself for worthless, and I don't say that unkindly, but worthless sinners such as me and you? And if he has, surely he should be your delight. And if he is your delight, you will be blessed. You will delight in his word because his word reveals himself that he's too good to err, too, too wise to err, too good to be unkind. May God bless you and his word to our hearts here this night for his name's sake. Amen.